I'm Denise. She's a non-fiction editor. And I'm Louise. She's a fiction editor. And together, we're the Editing Podcast. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Editing Podcast. So this time around, we're going to be taking a look at a question that one of our listeners sent in. That's right. So Peg Wright, an ESL teacher and editor in training, asked us if we'd delve a little bit deeper into editing short form content. And it's a great topic because you and I have both edited and continue to edit short form content in between longer projects, don't we? We do indeed. So we're going to break this down into several subtopics. First, we're going to chat about the different types of content that might fall into the short form category. And then we'll focus on the benefits and challenges of this type of work. And then follow that with some advice on things to consider in terms of the remit, including the client's expectations, the brief itself, and some of the ethical issues and practical responsibilities you might need to take into account. And then after that, we'll have a chat about consistency and style, what a client might want or might need to be advised on when it comes to short form content. And then we'll talk about scheduling issues and how the decisions you might make might differ from the work that you do on longer form content. And then we'll wrap up the show with a conversation about pricing and marketing. So let's start by defining what we mean um, when we say short form content. It's pretty much what it says on the tin. So it's not 80,000 word novels, memoirs, textbooks, handbooks, manuals or reference guides. No, that's (laughs) right. And it's not chunky dissertations or theses either. So we think of short form content as anything up to around 15 to 20,000 words. So we might squeeze in a novelette or a small how-to business guide into our definition and certainly a single journal article. We're also talking about things like newsletters, bulletins, CVs and resumes, letters, blog posts, short stories and flash fiction, uh, essays, mini edits, agent teasers and reports, even things like restaurant menus, marketing materials, greeting cards. I've done a, I've done a bit of that in the past. Have you? Have you? Checking, <laughs> checking the poems. Checking the poems. <laughs> it was fun work, though terrifying because, well, actually, I'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to chatting about pricing. Okay, okay. Right, so let's dig into the benefits of working on this kind of stuff. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, the biggest benefit is that shorter projects can be squeezed in around a longer Mm -hmm. one or they can fill small gaps in my schedule. And that can be really handy if a client delivers their book late and you're twiddling your thumbs. That's my top reason, too, because when you're freelancing, if you're not working, you're not earning. It's as Mm. simple as that. But the other thing I hear editors say is that they like the variety that shorter form content offers and the fact that it gives them a break for longer um, from the longer and perhaps more complex projects they're working on. Yeah, it's that old adage about a change being as good as a rest, isn't it? Yeah. But the other big draw for some editors is that if you price it appropriately, it can be lucrative in terms of the time for money ratio. Yeah. Now, that idea of short form content being a refresher or giving the editor a break can really work for people with that kind of mindset. For others, that's a challenge. I, I certainly find it a challenge. I I tend to really get immersed in the, the novels I work on, so I'm not keen in pulling my head out of that space. When I do do it, I, I try to set aside an entire day for it or do it right at the start of the day or the end of the day so that I'm not interrupting the groove I'm in. I wonder if that's more likely to be the case for fiction editors. Mm. Yeah, but I knew. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
basically keep talking over the top of each other. <laughs> yeah. 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 So because I work on a lot of business and educational materials, I'm still in a groove with that stuff, but perhaps it's a little more sort of boxy. Yeah. So that even when I'm working on a, a longer educational textbook, I'll still have to divide up the project into separate sub projects, such as editing the text in each unit or checking all the figures and the tables and then working on the references and then maybe cross checking the answer key for a student's book. Right, that makes sense because there are going to be natural breaks in that kind mm. of work because line editing the text of a textbook is is very different process from fixing the references or spot checking an, an index or those yeah. answer keys you talked about. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So the longer project itself sort of includes shorter form uh, projects uh, within uh. it. And so I don't find it as challenging to switch to an editing to editing a report for a business client in between a longer book edit because I'll slot it in. Uh, one of those sort of natural breaks. Yeah, that's a good point. So I think one of the biggest challenges about shorter form work is that if you're not doing what we're doing, uh, I mean, slotting it in between longer projects, it can take time to build a big enough bank of clients to make an adequate living for it, if, you, yeah. if that's all you're doing. Yeah, definitely. I don't think it's great bread and butter work for the newer editor, though mm. it can be good for getting experience and testimonials and building confidence. But the other thing is that it's not so easy to be visible to the kind of client who needs help with shorter form mm. content when you're first building your business. No, and if the relevant pages on your website aren't ranking for searches about this type of editing, that might mean you're having to compete with thousands of others on sites like Upwork and Fiverr. Now, there's nothing wrong with advertising on those sites, but bear in mind that they're rife with competitors who'll be offering to proofread and edit CVs, resumes, blog posts and reports for silly money. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I think that's where having subject specialisms might really be an advantage. Because if, say, an academic author wants a journal article checked, they're much more likely to be drawn to someone who has specialist expertise. Definitely. So I'm just thinking, for example, of our colleagues, Claire Bacon and Cathy O'Moore-Cloth, who, who specialise in medical and scientific and medical editing. Mm. And they have masses of experience, training and, um, and subject knowledge that will rightly convince someone submitting to a journal that they're more likely to have an article accepted because both or either one of those editors understand what state the article needs to be in in order to be accepted. But you probably find that for some of the educational work, too, um, that you do, too, don't you? Yeah, yeah. So sometimes a client might ask me to just check the answer key and it's short form work, but they want someone who knows what to look mm. out for and has experience of working on educational materials. But I guess it's the same for you with agent teasers, no? I mean, if someone wants to ma maximise their chances of getting an agent's attention with 10,000 words, they're more likely to work with a specialist fiction editor than someone off Fiverr. See, we've already started talking about marketing and we're only on the challenges part of the discussion. <laughs> but I think it's a good point. If you're going to if you're going to make short form content a part of your business, it really is worth thinking about what kind of content you're going to focus on and who your target clients are. Which needs us nice, which <laughs> needs us. <laughs> Take it a bit, bread. <laughs> which leads us nicely into clients and their expectations and the kind of brief that might be involved in short form content and the questions we might need to ask. So the first thing we want to say is that it's really important to be sure about what a client's expectations are, because the terminology is key. 
If you're asked to proofread a report for a business or a marketing agency, for example, that process of proofreading might require something very different from what a publisher would be expecting if you were to proofread a journal article. Absolutely. So I've done so-called report proofreading for marketing comms agencies, but what they wanted, and to be fair, were prepared to pay for, was stylistic line editing. Mm. And in that case, no other editor had come before me and no one was going to come after me. Yeah, yeah. Whereas when I check the answer key for publishers, they and I both know exactly what's required. Mm. But when I've edited web page content for business clients, I've had to be really careful to check the remit and make sure we're both on the same page about exactly what's required. So do think about who the client is. Are they publishing professionals who will be using editing terminology in the same way that you've been trained to? Yeah, or are they a non-publisher client who might be using proofreading as a catch-all phrase to mean make this fit for purpose? Mm -hmm. So that greeting card company I mentioned earlier is a case in point because they asked for proofreading. But what they really meant was make it perfect because we're printing 80,000 of these things. And if happy <laughs> birthday is spelt wrong, it's a catastrophe. <laughs> God, can you imagine? Whereas one typo in a short story might be annoying, but not a disaster. Yeah. 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 Also, find out where it's been published. If the short form content is going on the web page, say homepage text or blog content, then you're going to be thinking in terms of more than just typos. You're going to be thinking about ensuring the paragraphs aren't too long and that the text is broken up by other visual elements like bulleted lists and boxes and so on. Yeah, and that the most important information is front loaded, where, whereas if it's going in a journal or it's an entry for a flash fiction competition, you're going to be um, editing more conventionally in terms of layout. Yeah, and make sure you're aware of what format the text is going to be in. Are you going to be checking the text in a Word document or working in some sort of content management system? That's going to affect the tools you can use. And your speed, because mm. if you're used to working in Word, but not in WordPress, you might be slower. Mm. So that's going to affect your pricing. But with some types of short form content, there are ethical issues to consider too, aren't there, Denise? Yeah, yeah. So editing postdoctoral research is not the same as proofreading an undergraduate student essay. Mm. And we need to be really careful when we're taking on short form work like this, because when it comes to essays, just like with longer dissertations and theses, most schools, colleges and unis have very strict guidelines about what an editor can do. Yeah, and you could end up inadvertently colluding with the student in, in, in breaching that establishment's gui um, guidelines. So that's definitely a thing to check. And talking of guidelines, let's now talk about consistency and style. Now, that's something that editors are always big on, but templates and style sheets can make a huge difference when it comes to short form content. If you're working on small projects for one client, but regularly. And we really want to emphasize this because, and we'll talk a little more about this when we come to pricing. One of the problems with shorter form content is that you lose all the economies of scale. Mm. So having templates and style sheets means we're not having to remember or second guess ourselves about what decisions we made when we proofread their last blog posts or whatever. Yeah, and they might well have their own brand style guide, but equally they might not have even thought about any such mm. thing. So that's a conversation to have whatever kind of short form content you're working on, because the job you're doing might be fitting into a wider body of work that you don't have access to. So the web content um, is probably the most obvious example of that. 
Yeah, so publishers, marketers and big brands will usually have their own style guides. Though bear in mind that if you're not familiar with that guide, it might be quite complex, even though the job you're doing isn't. You might even spend more time learning the style guide than you do editing the 5,000 words of text you've been asked to work on. That's so true. If you're not familiar with Perfectit from Intelligent Editing, check it out because it's a brilliant tool for supporting style and consistency. But another tip is to create an online form that any client can fill in, even those with no publishing background, so that those core decisions about spelling, punctuation, English variation and um, any terms that must be included or avoided are agreed right at the outset. I think that's a great idea to have that form. Yeah. Mm. Again, it's about introducing efficiencies so that you're not wasting valuable time head scratching, which can destroy a decent hourly rate when you're working on short form content. And in addition to perfect it, the Chartered Institute of Editing and Proofreading has a guide called Your House Style, which will be invaluable if you find yourself having to create house styles for clients frequently. That's an absolutely brilliant tool, a game changer if you feel like you just don't know where to start. Definitely recommend it. Yeah. So let's move on to a few scheduling tips now. So when it comes to short form content, it's critical to agree the schedule up front. Yes, it can be squeezed in around other stuff because it's shorter, but that doesn't mean you want to be working at midnight. (laughs) Yeah, unless you want to. I mean, it's it's still your time. Mm. And sure, rescheduling a 2000 word blog post is a lot easier than rescheduling a 90,000 word medical textbook. But you don't want to be in a position where you're overwhelmed and tired because a client didn't deliver. And when we say agree a schedule, we mean even the time when it's due by, say, Mm. 9 a.m. on a Monday morning. Because if a novel comes in a few hours late, but you've scheduled four weeks for it, there's probably space for catch up. But if a 2000 word report was due at 9 a.m., but comes in two hours late and the deadline is still midday, you're up against it. (laughs) Yeah. And clients who aren't familiar with how editors work might not realise how long it takes to do a great job. Mm. It's that old chestnut about speed, quality and price and how a client can pick two out of those three, but no more. Yeah, exactly. And you might also want to spend a little time thinking about how flexible you're going to be. Some editors put in place penalties for late delivery of short form content of even a few hours, not because it will remove the stress, but it won't, but because no. it stops the delay happening in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So now let's have a look at pricing. Now, this is a massive topic, so we're just going to run through a few key tips. So we mentioned earlier about the issue with economies of scale, but it is worth reiterating here. Mm -hmm. And, And the fact is this, with short form content, they're poor. So that needs to be factored into the fee. Yeah. And for that reason, you might want to avoid per thousand per word or per thousand word fees and think instead about hourly rates or fixed fees. Mm. If you do price per word, we recommend going much higher than you would for longer form work. So I charge £75, for instance, to line edit a thousand words, um, a thousand word sample, Mm -hmm. but only £30 per thousand words for a full length novel. And I'm just going to like time that here in case somebody's listening to this in five years time. It's 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Still just. Just. And when I'm cross-checking an answer key with a student's book and the workbook and the audio scripts, I work on a flat fee, but this is based on the expectation that the work will be much slower than if I'm simply copy editing a book's worth of text. And I also think that minimum rates are useful for short form content because honestly, who wants to be messing around with invoices of 10 quid? Yeah, I agree. 
Another option with regular clients that you're doing lots of short form work for is to invoice once at the end of each month. And this kind of work can lend itself well to retainers too. So that's where a client books out a fixed amount of your time each month and pays for that regardless of whether they have work for you. But they are guaranteed a space in your schedule. Yeah, that, that can work really well, actually. Yeah. Hmm. Now, we've mentioned this before, but don't forget to factor in unfamiliarity time if you're pricing up for short form content with a new client, especially those with detailed or complex brand style guidelines. And don't be shy about asking to see the content up front so you know what you're letting yourself in for before you quote. Definitely. And you might also want to think about whether for new clients, you'll ask for full payment up front, perhaps even at the booking stage. But do make sure, as we said before, to tie that into delivery. You don't want to be taking money and then have the client thinking, well, I've paid, so it doesn't matter when I deliver it. Yeah, good point. Now, the other thing you might um, want to consider about pricing is setting your fees around risk as well as time. So I mentioned that greetings card publisher earlier. Um, Think about it like this. One typo in a blog post is not a big deal because it can be fixed quickly. In a printed journal article, it's not great, but it's still not a complete disaster. But in a greetings card with only 10 words, it is a catastrophe. Mm. The whole print run is ruined and they're unsellable. The same thing would apply to short form content that's around brand messaging. Oh, yeah, exactly. So you might want to factor in checking this multiple times or even subcontracting fresh eyes from a colleague so that there's a double check. Mm. Because the risk is not really about the typo, is it? No, it's about (laughs) reputational damage. And that extra checking, the extra responsibility, the extra time can come with a premium price because of that risk aversion. Yeah. And one last thing on pricing short form content. If the turnaround time is fast and requires you to work out of your normal office hours, you might want to consider charging an inconvenience premium. We both do. Yeah. And clients who have short form work that's time critical will pay for great work delivered in a timely manner. I find that with work um, I've done for marketing agencies and ombudspersons. And I think you have with Reuters work, haven't you, Denise? Yeah, absolutely. They're picking fast and good from that holy trinity we mentioned earlier. Mm, mm. So let's wrap up with some marketing advice. So first of all, one of the easiest short form markets to penetrate is journal articles. Publishers, NGOs and government departments understand the value of quality editing. So they're clients who have their hands raised. Yeah, so go direct, emails, letters, phone calls, whatever you prefer, and ask them if you can be added to their bank of freelancers. And directories can be effective too for picking up other types of short form content work, particularly the various national editorial directories. But Upwork, Fiverr, Yale and Find a Proofreader can be as well. Just bear in mind that the likes of Upwork and Fiverr tend to be frequented by price shopping clients. Yeah. So how about non-publisher clients? We both favour content marketing for attracting them. So if you want to get hired to edit or proofread blog content or web content or journal articles by medical professionals or business reports by entrepreneurs, Create your own fabulous blog posts that solve those potential clients' problems. Those posts are more likely to rank, meaning you'll get found. Yeah. And one final tip that we mentioned earlier, but that we want to reiterate. Think about your terminology. Businesses and marketing agencies, for example, might not be searching for people like you to check their reports or newsletters or bulletins, 
by using words like copy editing or stylistic editing. Yeah, they're much more likely to be talking in terms of proofreading, which is fine as long as you price according to what needs to be done rather than what your client's calling it. So think about your messaging in relation to the types of short form content you'd like to work on, the clients who will be providing it and the kind of language they're most likely to use. Absolutely. So that's it for this week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. You can rate, review and subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, Spotify or whichever platform you prefer. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to the Editing Podcast. She's been Denise. And she's been Louise. Join us again soon. Bye. Bye.